Hello, and coming to you live from my garage, episode 9 of Rob's Records podcast, M-A-T-H-R, Matha. I hope you enjoyed the last show where I interviewed Tom and how music can be used as therapy or treatments. We're going to continue in the same kind of vein as that and how music can help you focus. So this would be good for if you were studying for your GCSEs or A-levels or if you've really got to read that large-ass document for work or similar things where you really don't want to do it and procrastination is your number one friend. This should hopefully help you. Music can help with sustained attention. A 2020 psychology paper from the University of London uncovered the effect of background music on the elusive knack of keeping on task. The scientists wanted to settle what they described as inconclusive literature on its impact, 
so used both objective and subjective evidence to demonstrate their point. They found having preferred background music dramatically helped end mind wandering and kept the candidates motivated and focused. Interestingly, this was music of the subject's own choice, so find the right genre for you and it could help. Music can also reduce stress, something that was covered also in the last podcast. Research shows a number of ways music lowers stress and anxiety levels. Music reduces the amount of cortisol released in our bodies, also as known as the stress hormone. Cortisol regulates our metabolism, blood sugars and helps fight infection. However, it also surges when we are feeling in danger, with all the symptoms that come with that. Higher blood pressure, faster heart rate, muscle tension, etc. Listening to music to lower stress allows more headspace to focus on the task in hand and can naturally keep us calmer, even when we are do- what we are doing is difficult. Music can also lift moods. Music can elicit great pleasure releasing extra dopamine in our brains, similar to that experienced after a good workout, a yoga session, or when reading an engaging book. With more dopamine flowing through our system, we can be more motivated to tackle the task. And after all, music is proven to benefit our overall health and well-being. The best thing about music playlists is that they can prompt that dopamine dump to occur in the background, leaving us free to plow on with what is in front of us. Music also makes the brain pay closer attention. A team of Stanford University researchers investigated the brain's ability to sift through swaths of information it encounters. The flow and discord of the music was shown to sharpen the right-hand side of the brain, which deals with attention, memory and reasoning. In a similar way, music has also been shown to be able to help those with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADHD, with libraries of papers investigating how it can be used to provide focus and structure. Music helps aid memory. Everyone has experienced that moment when a piece of music suddenly transports them back in time. Memory and music are intrinsically linked and can immediately prompt autobiographical experiences that we had not given thought to in years. Does that help with memorising information for an exam or recalling something specific for a job at work? At the very least, it offers a hook to hang experiences off. However, there is a caveat. Choosing the right music can be crucial. For example, fast, loud and lyric-heavy music can make it difficult for some to focus on other things. Researchers have found that tempo and intensity can be disruptive to reading comprehension tasks. Keeping background music calm and cool may be the best way to build focus for a lot of people. You might want to stick to something enjoyable and consider leaning on instrumental pieces to avoid any distracting lyrics taking you away from the task in hand. For those new listeners, what I'm about to do is play you the last five seconds of a song, twice, and you have to guess what that song is. There's no prize apart from a slap on the back by yourselves, and uh, congratulating yourself on having wonderful music knowledge and being able to get the song correct. You can score yourself and, uh, I don't know, let me know how you've been getting on with all the shows we've been doing so far. Nine, I think, in total. But yeah, this uh, next song uh, is good if you're in a band. It's only uh, four chords and uh, it's quite a rocking song. Fairly easy to play. I was in a band once, a long time ago, and it's one of the songs we did do, but unfortunately it got uh, relegated to the 
has been not in the actual final set list. But nevertheless, I think it's a fantastic song. Hopefully you do too. And you'll be able to guess immediately what the song is. So here's the first five seconds. There you go, is it, is it tickling those mind buds? There you go, I'm being quiet then, you think. Okay, let's listen to it again. So whilst you're having a little noodle around, thinking about it, you can follow me on Instagram. My username is robsrecords underscore pod. I will post when they new shows are and on the bio link it gives you the link tree links where you can subscribe to the podcast via google or apple podcasts or whatever you use to play do hit that subscribe button and i'll be able to see exactly where you are in the world listening to my podcast i have a few listeners in america or at least i hope i do if not my uh, stats completely up the wall anyway so that song uh, but before I do, sorry, I got a bit distracted there. Maybe I should listen to some music. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook as well. So that's facebook.com forward slash Rob's Record Podcast. Or alternatively, if you want to listen to the songs that I play in the show without me rambling on in between or telling you some interesting facts about MP3s, vinyls, tapes, or the effects of music, you can search for me on Spotify, and that is Rob's Records Podcast. And there is a playlist of all the songs which have been on the show to date so did you get the song or were you just listening to me go on well the song was indeed teenage kicks by the undertones
If you decided to go out all out for a special occasion and book a Michelin star restaurant, there are certain things you'd probably expect to see. And a dish crafted from semen isn't one of them, but Spanish chef David Munoz, who has three Michelin stars, will be adding the unusual fish semen concoction to his menu at his restaurant, Diver Exo in Madrid. The chef was so inspired by his experience tasting shirako, a white paste made from fish semen, with Japanese chef Hiro Sato, that he wants to bring the indescribable, that's one way of describing it, taste to diners in Madrid so that they can sample it for themselves. The chef took to Instagram after trying the delicacy to say it blew his mind. Or something blew the fish, I wonder. But the Japanese dish might be a bit too outlandish for his customer base, with some saying the thought of the fish semen-based dish was making them feel sick. One social media user wrote, Just thinking about it gives me a stomachache, and I eat everything. Another claimed, This is animal abuse. How do they get here? Is it worth it? Shirako reportedly has a creamy texture similar to custard and is mainly taken from pufferfish, monkfish, and cod. The semen is extracted from the fish in small sacks. So do they extract it from the fish and put it in small sacks? Anyway, usually white or light pink in colour before either being eaten raw or after it's grilled or fried. It is usually served on top of rice. Someone said that they didn't understand the outrage, however commenting, I don't understand, so much mental nonsense in the head when roe, female fish eggs, have been eaten for centuries. The chef provides his customers with a 12-course taste, tasting menu where he incorporates Asian and Spanish flavours to create new dishes. He said that he hopes the success of his restaurant shows that there are people who love diversity and the taste of semen and are willing to have fun when it comes to food. Great Scott! A woman has been left horrified after discovering her housemate stole her vibrator. Max, who has gone viral after sharing her ideal on TikTok, claimed she discovered her sex toy in her housemate's bedroom. In her video, Max, who lives in Miami, explains she spent a couple of nights at her parents' house before returning home later than usual, which she says surprised her roommate. The next morning, she goes to her bedside drawer only to discover her vibrator missing. She said, I got this weird feeling. It's always there, so how could it not be there when I haven't been here? After 45 minutes of deliberating, she finally decides to check out her roommate's room. She says, I go to her bedside drawer and open it, and my vibrator's there. I think she must have the same brand, same colour. She, she must just have it, and mine just must be misplaced. I don't think anyone could ever do anything like that. Max texts her friends and sister to share and one friend insists she takes a picture of the vibrator and put a dot of eyeliner on it so that if it gets returned, she'll know for sure if it's hers. Or if her friend's got a little bit of eyeliner on the uh, old... Uh, mm -hmm. When her roommate returned, Max left to give her a chance to return the vibrator. She comes back and checks her bedside drawer and lo and behold, the vibrator has found its way back. The clip went viral on TikTok racking up 2.4 million views and 178,000 likes. Max continues the tale in a follow-up video explaining about the moment she discovered the return vibrator. 
I'm fully panicked. All I know is I don't feel safe anymore. Like, who am I living with? I just wanted to get out of there. Part of the reason why I wanted to look in her room is there have been times where things have been missing like pieces of clothing, but then it would be, then it would return. In the back of my head, I thought, is she wearing my skirts and other things? So that's why I had the feeling to go look. Max said she encountered the roommate and tried to act normal before leaving the home and panicking, wondering how long the roommate's actions had been going on. She ended up telling her parents what had happened and she says her dad persuaded her to text and confront her. Matt asks for an explanation in the text. She says, So she, the roommate, replies and immediately tries to gaslight me and says, Wow, Max, that is so mean of you. That is so gross. How dare you accuse me of something like that? Max sticks to her guns and finally the roommate responds, appearing to blame her friends, saying she had guests over who may have used it. Max insists she needs to leave for an hour while she packs her belongings to stay with a friend. She says, I honestly felt sick. She had no empathy. She was not sorry. Max decides to Google the roommate and she found a website about her and her mother claiming they had been charged for multiple offences and a picture of the roommate with a stamp saying, liar, over it. Max added, now I'm like, whoa, who the hell have I been living with? She called her parents again, who drove down the next day and insisted they call the police to keep watch whilst they move her belongings out of the home. She said six officers came and stayed while she cleared the home, and then she sent a final text to the roommate to update her, to which she claims her response was, You framed me. I've been thinking about it, and you put it in my room because you wanted to break the lease early. Max added, It was so spooky. She said she didn't reply and has not spoken to her since, but has been left rattled by the crazy experience. Maybe she, maybe she needs to get a new vibrator if she's left rattled. Great Scott! What's the key to a happy relationship? For a man named Nathaniel, it's his car key, because he's in a relationship with his 1998 Chevy Monte Carlo. Nathaniel, 37, starred in the documentary back in 2012 where he shared his unusual relationship with his car, which he nicknamed Chase. He said that he was in love with Chase, that the pair communicated telepathically, had sex in numerous positions, and even had a favourite song, Can't Fight This Feeling by Ario Speedwagon. Nathaniel from Arkansas has kept his relationship with Chase a secret but revealed it to his friends, family and the world when the documentary on Object Philia came out on TLC in 2012. In the documentary, Nathaniel explained that it was love at first sight when he saw Chase in a car dealership in 2005 and the pair instantly hit it off. Since then, they developed a romantic relationship and he admitted that things sometimes got physical between them. He said, I'm in a serious relationship with my car. It was love at first sight. His body and his interior and everything just seemed to fit. I felt an instant connection. I don't know why I feel the way I do, but I just absolutely love Chase. We always have a good time together. We have our times where things get sexual. What we do most often is, I like to lean over the fender and across his hood and do little things like that and kind of press up against him and rub against him like that. One of his more bold positions is for me to be underneath him. He really likes that. It's really special to make love to, to Chase. Object philia is a term that describes people who feel a strong emotional or sexual relationship with an inanimate object such as the Berlin Wall or a Boeing 747, or in this case, a car. 
In the documentary, Nathaniel can be seen caressing the car, sliding underneath it and kissing the bumper as he says, I love you, baby. He goes on to explain that his interest in cars began as a teenager, but he didn't think too much of it and had several girlfriends when he was growing up. But he said that he never felt true love until he met Chase, and now the couple are inseparable. Nathaniel continues, It really bothers me when he gets dinged or scratched. If something were to happen to Chase, my heart would stop. I guess the reason I don't tell a lot of people is because I don't know the response I'm going to get. I always worry about that little bit of disgust that somebody may have. If everybody found out, I'd be worried that it may affect my job, but I love him to death and I wouldn't trade him for the world. So yeah, just make a documentary about it if you don't want anyone to know. Next up is Rob's Records. Now my eldest brother Stu introduced me to this song. I don't know where he originally heard it. It was from like Case the Soul Weekends or from a friend of his or, or whatever. So I'll have to ask him to find out. But it, um, it, it just kind of grabbed my attention, mainly because it had a sitar in it. But at the same time, a song I think was recorded in 1968 to have, I don't know, that arrangement. And well, you, you obviously you'll find out when I play you the song. But I just thought it was absolutely immense. And it was one of those ones where you, whoever you played it to would really enjoy it. And they'd be like, oh, why'd you? And it was one of those kind of like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I found like a really obscure song that everyone kind of loves. Because, you know, back in the late 90s, it was, uh, you didn't have YouTube and, you know, where everything's kind of available at a click of a button. So, unless, of course, you know what you're looking for. But, um, yeah, the song, as I said, the song was recorded in 1968 by the Dave Pike set. So Dave Pike was an American uh, dude who, uh, I think he played, well, he was an American jazz vibraphone and marimba player. And he recorded many uh, different songs, mainly like jazz. And I think he then signed to the, the German label MPS, which is, I think, predominantly jazz recordings. But I remember when I went to uni, I'd always, I'd I, I was based in London and I'd always loved going to Camden Market and it'd be one of those places where you'd go and you'd be in these places, you know, normally trying to get a velvet jacket or uh, I think I, yeah, I managed to get like the Withnail and I CD soundtrack, which I've been trying to get for years from uh, Camden Market for a fiver. I think I managed to sell it on eBay for about 14 quid like a few years later. I wish I'd kept it actually, but. There you go. Yeah, you'd be in these places and then suddenly it'd come on and you'd be like, oh, wow, you know, and you'd be the person, you'd be, you'd be like, oh, this is like, you know, Matar by Dave Pikes. And they'd be like, oh, because there was a few, sorry, <clears throat> there was a few kind of remixes and everything else. That's, that's where I got it on this 12-inch uh, record. I think the, the original song's on there and then three kind of other versions of it. One's like a techno one, which is just... Oh, just, just not very good at all, you know. It's almost like you can't improve upon the original, I don't think, no matter how many times you, you remix it. But uh, no, I have fin fond memories of going around Camden Town Market. You'd always have these um, bootleg stalls. Um, CDs were bloody expensive, like 16 quid. But you could get these tapes, like, I don't know if they're like three quid each or, or maybe, I don't know, five quid each or two for a tenner they'd finally put up. But they'd have these, like, fluorescent yellow cases or you know the inlay bits or fluorescent orange and you'd, you'd be able to get like live recordings you know bootlegs basically and uh, it was great but you'd always have that concern of like well the tape you know is the quality going to be that great and as much as I loved bands I wasn't prepared just to listen to some wishy-washy 
kind of bootleg. I remember there was a bootleg going around for Guns N' Roses live at the Milton Keynes Bowl, which I went, but it just sounded like it'd been recorded through a wet sock and uh, wasn't very good. But anyway, this is the Dave Pike uh, set playing Mathar, and I hope you enjoy it. It's the, as I say, it's the original. You can find um, Dave Pike set. I think it's called Masterpieces. I'll I'll, I'll put the uh, link to this to the uh, album from Spotify onto the Facebook page. So, as I say, do check me out on Facebook. So it's facebook.com forward slash Rob's Record Podcast. Or if you're already on Facebook, I think you can just probably search Rob's Records Podcast. But yeah, here is Rob's Records Matha. So the next segment was called Rob's Wikipedia Ripoffs, um, and I've kind of come up with a new name for the time being, which is Rob's Recommendations. I don't know how many hours that is, but uh, yeah, th these will be artists that, again, I've heard 
You may not have, you may have, I don't know. Well done if you have. Well, well done, who am I? I'm not a, uh, I'm not Rob from High Fidelity. Anyway, um, this next artist was one who, I think I first heard him in 2006, at the same time that, that a film had been released. And um, yeah, his name's uh, Daniel Johnson and he was an American singer, musician, and artist re regarded as a significant figure in outsider, lo-fi, and alternate music. Uh, most of his work considered, uh, consisted of cassettes recorded alone in his home, and his music was frequently cited for its pure and childlike qualities. Now, when you do hear most of his stuff, it is very lo-fi. You know, it's, uh, you know, imagine someone with one tape recorder bashing away recording and singing on it so it's it's okay but some of the uh quality you can't i can't listen to too many of his earlier uh, bits and pieces the song that i've selected for you to listen at the end of this segment is from a 2006 studio recorded album yeah here's a little bit about uh, daniel johnson so johnson was born in sacramento california and grew up in new cumberland west virginia he was the youngest of five children, and he began recording music in the late 1970s on a $59 Sanyo boombox, singing and playing piano, as well as the chord organ. In 1984, Johnson took a job at McDonald's and passed out tapes in the store. Now, interestingly, what he would do is he'd record that, the album, pass it to somebody. Instead of having like a master, which he would then duplicate, he would sit and re-record the album each time to then pass out. So you could always argue that none were, this, you know, no two recordings were the same. Anyway, his local standing led to him being featured in a 1985 episode of MTV, uh, MTV's The Cutting Edge, featuring performances from Austin's new sincerity music scene. Then in 1988, Johnson visited New York City and recorded 1990 with producer Mark Kramer at his noise studio, New York. It was Johnson's first experience in a professional recording environment after a decade of releasing homemade cassette recordings. His mental health further deteriorated during the making of 1990. In 1990, Johnson played at a music festival in Austin, Texas. On his way back to West Virginia on a private two-seater plane piloted by his father, Bill, Johnson had a manic psychotic episode believing he was Casper the Friendly Ghost. Johnson then removed the key from the plane's ignition and threw it outside the window. His father, a former US Air Force pilot, managed to successfully crash land the plane, even though there was nothing down there but trees. Although the plane was destroyed, Johnson and his father emerged with only minor injuries. And as a result of this episode, Johnson was involuntarily committed to a mental hospital. So interest in Johnson increased when Kurt Cobain was frequently photographed wearing a t-shirt featuring his cover image of, sorry, the cover image of Johnson's album, Hi, How Are You, that music journalist Everett True had given to Cobain. Cobain listed Yip Jump Music as one of his favorite albums in his journal in 1993. And despite Johnson's having, Johnson having been resident in a mental hospital at the time, there was a bidding war to sign him. He refused to sign a multi-album deal with Elektra Records because Metallica was on the label's roster and he was convinced that they were satanic and would hurt him, also dropping his longtime manager Jeff Tartaskov in the process. 
Ultimately, he signed with Atlantic Records in February 1994 and in September of that year released Fun, produced by Paul Leary of the Butthole Surfers. It was a commercial failure and in 1996, sorry, June 1996, Atlantic dropped Johnson from the label. Fast forward to 2004 and Johnson released the late great Daniel Johnson, Discovered Covered, a two-disc compilation. The first disc featured covers of his songs by artists including Tom Waits, Beck, TV on the Radio, Jad Fair, Eels, Bright Eyes, Calvin Johnson, Def Care for Cutie, Sparkle Horse, Mercury Rev, The Flaming Lips and Starlight Mints, with the second disc featuring Johnson's original recordings of the songs. In 2006, Jeff Fuerzeg released a documentary about Johnson called The Devil and Daniel Johnson. The, four, the film, four years in the making, collated some of the vast amounts of recorded material Johnson, and in some cases others, had produced over the years to portray his life and music. The film won high praise, receiving the Director's Award at the 2005 Sundance Film Festival. In early 2008, a Jeremiah the Innocent collectible figurine was released in different runs of four different colours. So Jeremiah the Innocent is the figure, or is the drawing, that was on the t-shirt that Kurt Cobain wore. It is also the album art for this podcast. In July 2017, Johnson announced that he would be retiring from live performance and would embark on a final five-day tour that fall. Each stop on the tour featured Johnson backed by a group that had been influenced by his music. And then, sadly, on September the 11th, 2019, Johnson was found dead from a suspected heart attack at his home in Walla, Texas. So as I was saying, I first got into, well, I first heard of Daniel Johnson back in 2006 when uh, I heard, well, I, went, I think I went to the library and there was the album called Lost and Found. And there's like a drawing of where well, you'd imagine Daniel Johnson at the piano. And I had a quick look and there was a song called Beatles. I was like, oh, okay, this is, you know, it plucked my interest. And so I listened to it and, and um, yeah, the quality, as I say, the album is a studio uh, quality. Uh, and there's some really good songs on the album, like Rock This Town, uh, Lonely Song, um, It's Impossible. That's a good song in terms of the music. It's a bit of a loop. Um, but yeah, it, it just captures your kind of imagination. The, da the, the Devil and Daniel Johnson uh, documentary is available on uh, FreeV if you're on Amazon or not too certain whether there's bits and pieces of it on YouTube. But yeah, do, yeah, do seek it out. It's an interesting uh, tale um, of somebody who is just super creative. Um, but, you know, for one reason or another, due to his, you know, I think the way that maybe mental health was managed back then perhaps wasn't um, helped the best way he could, but who knows? I think there was a contribution to too much acid, too much smoking of uh, marijuana or children in need, as you call it. Yeah, still nonetheless, some really lovely songs. There's another one, um, True Love Will Find You In The End. I think that's the most played of songs of his, which is uh, on the Spotify. This is Daniel Johnson's playlist. Before I play you Everlasting Love by Daniel Johnson from his Lost and Found album, just two things. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast via the Linktree uh, website link, which can be found in the bio of the Instagram page, which is robsrecord underscore pod. And next show, I'll be cleaning a record with glue.
blesses thee. Pen.